And Christ is our living hope. Let's go to him right now in prayer. God, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. We've been declaring all morning that he is the living hope, that he loves us. Thank you for your great love for us. You loved us first, that you gave us your son, Jesus. And Lord, I think of even the kids right now in TBC Kids Ministry and uh, as the psalmist declared so long ago in Psalm 82, out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Lord, one of the amazing ways that you have overcome the world is you take kids, you take children, and you speak grace and peace into this hostile world. And Lord, you, you showed that first and foremost through your own son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would look to him, we would find hope as we continue to struggle in a world that has thorns and thistles and cuts us and hurts us at times, God, but we find hope and healing in you. And we pray this in the mighty and matchless name of King Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Did you look to Jesus this week? Did you look to Jesus this week? Or were your eyes kind of blurry? Did you look to Jesus like a dog looks to its master when it's about to eat, like my dog Remy? Eyes fixed, right? Did you look... To Jesus, in that type of eyes fixed, or did your vision get blurred? Last week, we began our, um, our, our sermon series with the overall theme of the year. We began from Hebrews chapter 12, and our, our overall theme for the year was eyes locked, eyes fixed on Jesus. And we began talking about in this race of life, and when it gets really hostile, how are we going to continue to persevere, and how are we going to, to get through? And as I walked us through and saying, if, if we just look to Jesus, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Have you found that to be true? It helps us to lay aside our baggage and our sins. Last week, I did something crazy. I... I wore an overcoat to describe all the baggage, all that extra weight that sometimes we have to, to uh, just finally lay aside and take it to the cross of Jesus. Then I talked about the sin that so easily entangles. By the way, when I put both of those on there, did you think that the cross was going to tip over? <laughs> the cross always holds. No matter what baggage you have, no matter what sin you have, the cross of Jesus Christ holds. And hopefully last week you were able to lay down a whole bunch of baggage and sins. But maybe you picked up a little baggage again this week. Or maybe you picked up a little bit of sins. You know, I, I got to tell you, I had a little bit of sin last night. Pride came into my heart as <laughs> the Boston Bruins once again beat the... Maple Leafs. And it looks like you have some sin in your hearts too because you're not being very gracious. I, I already put it on the cross. 
So lay aside your sin and your baggage so that you can run the race that God has set out before you with endurance. That marathon of life, the race that he set for you to run with endurance. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And not only that you make it to the finish line, but you do so with a smile. The mile turns into a smile. Or the many miles turned into smiles with joy. See, Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame, our shame, for the joy set before him. And that joy was so that you and I would get to spend all eternity with him. But that is, as great as that was, there's even a a greater benefit, a greater joy that Jesus had. And that was when he crossed the finish line of his race, that he would fall into the arms of his father. Some of us long to see our loved ones again. But for Jesus, the ultimate joy was to be with his father in the manifest presence of heaven, seated at the right hand of God. That's great joy. Well, have you looked to Jesus? I talked about the why last week. Over the next um, number of months, Lord willing, we'll be able to learn about the how. How to look to Jesus. I have to admit, some of us, though, probably are struggling with looking to Jesus. And if that's true, that's okay. Because grief and other people can block our vision, so we can't always see Jesus. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 6, verse 7. It's up on the screen, I believe, here in Psalm 6, verse 7. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all of my enemies. Maybe your vision, your ability to look to Jesus is because you're suffering from grief and from your enemies. Well, today I want to to remind you again to look to Jesus so that you can find a living hope. A living hope found in Christ. God wants you to give you a living hope by reminding you who you are. Who you are in Jesus Christ. And it might sound weird at first. Do you know who you are? A peculiar people, an elect exile. And the elect exile. I don't want to be in an exile. Doesn't sound fun. But that's what we find here. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter. This is a letter written from one of Jesus' closest disciples. And we're going to read it um, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 in just a moment. But I, I want to remind you that you are an elect exile. That we as Christians no longer play on home turf. Erwin Lutz, our Canadian pastor, he puts it best this way in this quote. I think we have it up on the screen here. We Christians have lost home field advantage. Doesn't that feel true? The church will not be able to get through the culture unscathed if faithful. If you remain faithful, there's going to be times you're going to be hurt. But the church doesn't have the freedom to be unfaithful. Amen to that? But you today 
if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're looking to Jesus, if you're running the race with Jesus, you're going to feel like an exile. You're going to feel homeless. Do you feel homeless? Maybe politically, you don't have any party that you feel like you can ascribe to. Maybe ideologically, like everyone else has the different perspectives and you just feel lost. Or maybe culturally, you know, you, you see people celebrating things that you would never celebrate, that just brings you to tears or disgusts you. You feel homeless. You are in exile. You might own your home, but you know that really you're homeless. I want to reassure you today that if you are looking to Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then that is to be expected. That is to be normalized in your life because this is not your home. This earth is fading away. This is not your home. And so if you feel homeless, that is actually a good sign that the world doesn't have its pull on you as much as you once thought. This is what we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It fits with our theme this year that in this ever-increasing hostile world that we would keep our eyes on Christ and remain faithful. We are, in a sense, living in Babylon. That's what the Bible calls this world and its system, Babylon. And so, Lord willing, we, we're going to study through 1 Peter, and then we're going to go through Daniel, Esther, jump back into, first, into Daniel, finish off Daniel, and then if, if the Lord's... Lord hasn't come back yet. We'll finish off with Amos. But let's start with 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Peter? 1 Peter. It's at the end of your Bibles. You can look it up on your smartphones. Those online can also just watch on the screen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, notice what it says there, Elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And amen, exactly. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. May you be seated right now. One thing that I really hope is true that doctors and medical personnel buy into is this, this old saying. It actually harkens all the way back to the Roman times. While there's life, there's hope. While there's life, there's hope. While you still have breath, there's hope. You see, this is what Peter's talking about on a whole nother level, not just physically, but spiritually in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's that word born again, to have spiritual life. 
If you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are still dead in your trespasses. You are not spiritually reborn, but today you can be. You can believe in this Christ. You can hold fast to him. And Christ has given us a new life, a living, living hope. Let's talk further about that. Most of us understand that as we live in this world, in this hostile world, and as elect exiles, that it's difficult. For some of you, you both online and, and here today, you have been immigrants. You've had this experience. You felt like an outsider. Today, there's a living hope for all of us spiritual outsiders. That's what, what Peter is talking about. Now, I need to just kind of call a time out for a moment. Who is this Peter? Who's this Peter? I said earlier that Peter is one of Jesus' first disciples. In fact, they met on the Sea of Galilee, and um, they met after Peter was fishing. Peter was a professional fisherman, and he'd been out all night, and he came in and, and, um, to shore, and Jesus was, was there on the shore, and Jesus says Peter to Peter and to Peter's brother Andrew, and to their fishing buddies, James and John, let's go back out. Now, some of you who work the night shift, you're like, what? It's time to go to bed. But Peter and Andrew and James and John, they obey the Lord Jesus, and they go out, and Jesus says, let down your nets. And they're like, man, you know, this is the worst time to fish because... You know, back then, the, the ropes, the nets they used, they weren't monofilament. They didn't have braided line. So the fish could see the nets. And despite that, they put down the nets, and they catch this miraculous catch. And Peter is overwhelmed with how Jesus could make this happen. And Jesus tells him, leave your nets, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. Peter was always quick to action. We see this throughout the, the life of Peter. Peter did all sorts of impulsive things. One of the things that I teach my kids, or try to teach my kids, is ask before you act. Like, I don't really buy into this. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. It's better to ask before you act. But that, that strategy does not apply, at least as Peter originally thought. He was always to act and then ask later. And he did this constantly in his life. We see this um, at times later on when, when uh, Jesus comes to him and says, you know, who do people say I am? And Peter says this amazing thing. He says, uh, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, like, Jesus gives him great commendation for that. But just in a few moments later, a demon comes into Peter's life. And as Jesus is describing about going to the cross, Peter's like, no, 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 don't, you don't need to go do that. Not at all. And Jesus has to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
Another time, Peter um, and the disciples are in a boat, and Jesus was not with them at that moment, and Jesus walks on water in the Sea of Galilee, the same sea that had those original fish that were caught. And, uh, and Peter, like, he is so excited. So he, he sees Jesus. He's looking at Jesus, and he says, Jesus, can I come? Can I come and, and walk on water to you? And he steps off the boat, and what happens? He starts walking. But then he looks to the right or to the left. He stops looking at Jesus, and he goes down, doesn't he? Impulsive Peter. Peter was impulsive. Another time, Jesus decided to show his manifest deity, to show his glory from heaven. He's up on a mountain with James and John and Peter and Moses and Elijah also show up. And, and Peter doesn't stay silent. He's like, hey, you know what? It would be really cool if we went camping right now. Let me build some tents. For you and Jesus, and for Moses and Elijah, we could stay here a while. And Jesus is like, oh, you're not getting it. Peter always ran off at the mouth. He's impulsive. Probably the biggest time was in his life was the night that Jesus was betrayed. Remember that? And uh, Jesus knew that he was going to suffer. And Peter promised that night that he would, he would go to the death with Jesus. He even brought a sword. And when the mob came to arrest Jesus, Peter picked out that sword, and he actually cut off the ear of the, the high priest's servant, Malchus. What bravery, what courage. It was impulsive. Jesus heals that ear, tells Peter to put the sword away. And then Peter flees. And that very night, three times as Jesus predicted, he became a denier. He denied knowing Jesus Christ, even to a little servant girl. Peter was impulsive. And so as he writes this, this letter as an older man, we find that he now declares he's an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ. See, the reason why Peter could say that was because after he had denied Christ, he experienced grace and peace that was deeply multiplied to him. Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the grave, came and met Peter again on the, the shores of Galilee, and restored Peter and reminded him to go feed his sheep, to, to lead his people. This is that same Peter that is writing this letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus and Galatius and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. These, these believers in the five provinces of Asia Minor, Asia Minor being modern day Turkey and Greece. And so we find, we find hope. We find a living hope in the fact of Peter's letter to us as ex elect exiles. This is important. My wife, Lori, uh, she's reading a book that's entitled Women at Who Risk. 
Women Who Risk. The subtitle is Secret Agents for Jesus in the Muslim World. We have many people around the world who understand what it means to be an elect exile, a secret agent for Jesus in this hostile, hostile world. Who understand that if you don't have God, then you don't have grace and truth. In fact, the old saying was, no God equals no grace and no peace. But today, if you actually know K-N-O-W, know God, then you can know grace and peace. Explains why in this, this hostile world that there is no grace anymore. People just get canceled all the time. It shows why there's no peace, that people are fighting all the time. There's hostilities at school and work and all these things that you encounter. But if you know God, if you look to Jesus, you can know his grace and his peace. You can know what it means to be an elect exile in this hostile world. So how do we summarize who we are, and how do we get to be an elect exile? Well, we were selected by God. We were selected by God to be sprinkled and sanctified and sent and scattered so grace and peace is multiplied in this world. That's the hope we have today, to know how to live in this world. We're selected by God to be sprinkled, sanctified, and sent and, 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 and uh, scattered throughout this world. This brings us great hope. I want to break that down for us so that we, we know what it means to be selected by God. Let's start there. How are we selected by God? Peter says this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now this has brought a lot of confusion and debate down through the years. Um, theologically, what does it mean to have foreknowledge? Let me simply tell you, to have foreknowledge means to love. To love with a future look. To love with a future look. To look ahead and love this person. And God, who knows everything, looked ahead and loved you. God loved us first. You know, something that Lori just told me this past week, would you like to know a little confession after 28 years she finally confessed to me? She finally told me that it was love at first sight for her. Yep. I was too dumb to see it. We were on the beach in Chicago playing football, and um, she was just an incoming first-year student, freshman at the school we were attending. And she came to the huddle, and she brushed sand off my shoulder. and Very forward, I think. But um, it was not the brush off. It was the brush in, okay? And, uh, but it was love at first sight for her. How much more was it love... 
at first sight in God's mind for us. He loved us that much. You've heard of the, um, the term, the biblical sense of the word know, right? It means to have intimate, profound knowledge. Sometimes we think of that sexually. How much more does God the Father, our maker and creator, know you? He knows every atom in your body. He knows whether what you've done, good or bad, everything you did, whether you've let go of all your baggage and sins this week or whether you haven't. And he saw you and he loved you. And don't misunderstand. It was nothing that you deserved or I deserved to be selected, to be an elect exile. He didn't look ahead and said, you know what? I see what they're going to be and I see what they're going to do. I see what they're going to choose and I'm going to choose them first. No, God foreloved you. He foreknew you. And this might help for some people who stumble over this, this doctrine is this teaching of foreknowledge and election is it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God and his glory that God the Father foreknew us. That was the first step he foresaw. The next part, though, is that he, he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus' blood sprinkled us, didn't it? Sprinkled us, it cleansed us. To be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus is to be fully cleansed. Now, we don't fully understand that because um, nowadays, if there's a sprinkling of blood, what happens? We get our gloves out. We get some... Um, detergent out. We try to get rid of all of the, the blood matter. Today, blood is hazardous waste. But in the Bible, it's heavenly washing. It's not hazardous waste. It's heavenly washing. And we need the blood of Jesus to cover all of our sins. And I have good news for you today. God sent his son Jesus to sprinkle his blood upon us to give us hope. Cleanliness really is next to godliness. Not personal hygiene, but the purity of Jesus Christ. That's the sprinkling of the blood. You have been selected. You have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, but you've also been sanctified. That's a big word. What does that mean, sanctified? It means to make holy. If Jesus sprinkled his blood on you and cleansed you, washed you, then the Holy Spirit is putting new clothes on you. He's making you holy from the inside out. He's, he's making you to be more like Jesus. And if, if the Holy Spirit puts a new clothing on you, a clothing of righteousness and holiness on you, then as you look to Jesus, you will look like Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to sanctify you. This is why we are selected by God to be sprinkled and sanctified. But not just for ourselves, but for others' sake. To be sent and scattered. 
The Holy Spirit cleanses us. Look at this verse in Titus. Chapter 3, verse 7. This might explain a little bit better. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Father, Savior, God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Eternal life. That's that sanctification. And we're sprinkled and sanctified so that we might be sent and scattered. See, we are to be called to be on mission with Jesus. These first believers in the first century were dispersed throughout parts of the Roman Empire so that they could spread the good news of Jesus Christ wherever they went, that they would live in obedience to Christ. That's what it says, for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood. And every time they messed up, they could still go back to the sprinkling of his blood and they would find grace and peace being multiplied in their lives. But it wasn't just grace and peace being multiplied in their life, it was grace and peace being multiplied in others' lives. That's what's so hopeful. Even today, there's great movements of God that are happening where people are coming to faith in Christ in places like Iran and in other locales around the world. Places where there's great persecution. And yet these, these people are what's called, they are part of what's called disciple-making movements where they, they read God's word and then they try to understand it and they just try to obey it. They ask themselves these questions. They ask themselves these questions about, like, what is the nature of humans? What does this passage teach about the nature of humans? And what does this say about, about God? What does this say about me? And how can I obey it? And then, who can I tell this to? And God is using this in great ways to spread his good news of Jesus Christ. To spread his grace and peace. Pastor Jason Elliotson, a number of months ago, said this. Grace cleanses us, but doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want. Because so helpful, so helpful for us. One of the things that um, I'm trying to do every day, because I hear the language of Spanish and Portuguese spoken all over our city and even in our church. And so I'm, I'm, I'm taking out my phone and I'm trying to just learn on Duolingo how to speak a little bit of Portuguese and Spanish. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm too cheap to get the, the premium version, okay? I just want the free version. I'm not that, that in. And... Um, at the end of each of my lessons, because I don't have the, the premium version, it says this, upgrade to premium Duolingo, where you can make as many mistakes as you want. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, if you upgrade and you look to Jesus, it's not that you'll want to make mistakes, it's that you have somewhere to take your mistakes too. 
so that grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the living hope that we have. This is why we are called as elect exiles. This is why at times we feel homeless. So that we can go and share this good news of Jesus Christ and grace and peace be multiplied to this hostile world where Jesus turns enemies into friends forever. It begs the question, do you know this Jesus? Are you looking to Jesus? If you've never received Christ, if you've never said, I want, it, I want this Jesus, then today can be that day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for calling us out of the world so that we might go back into the world and that grace and peace be multiplied. Lord, it's the only living hope that there is. It's the only way that this hostile world can be turned into a, a hopeful world. So God, would we, would we now live in obedience to Christ, keeping our eyes on him, eyes fixed on him? We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen and amen.